Luke 24, 13. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus. I'm reading the New King James Version tonight, by the way. Which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all the things which had happened. And it, so it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained. The King James says, holding, like blinded. So that they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? From this story, uh, this is just part of the story, I'd like to speak to you on the road to Emmaus. The road to Emmaus. Please be seated and let's dig into the word of God. After the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he appeared to many of his disciples. I spoke about that Sunday, and uh, we know more information. For 40 days, he showed himself alive by many infallible proofs. There are 12 specific references given of appearances by Jesus to disciples after his resurrection. And the appearance to these two men on the road to Emmaus is the fourth of those seven specific occurrences of Jesus appearing. This appearance took place on Sunday, the day of the resurrection, possibly in the afternoon. Luke 24, 13 and 14, our text again. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus seven days and talked of the things that were happening that had taken place in Jerusalem. Now, we know one guy's name. His name was Cleophas. And he had a companion whose name is not given. And they were consumed. By unanswered questions. And they were absorbed with sadness. At what they knew had taken place in Jerusalem. They were puzzled and perplexed. By what they saw, heard and knew. And these two men of whom we know very little. Are walking home from Jerusalem to Emmaus. About seven miles. A little farther than we walk on our Move the Mission march that we'll do in May. And although the walk would only take a few hours, it probably seemed a whole lot longer this Sunday afternoon. Two men traveling together. Cleophas, whose name is a Greek name, may have been a foreigner had come to Jerusalem, but he seems to have been numbered with the twelve. His name is kind of an unusual name. But then there's this other guy that we'll just call no name or Clem or something. I don't know why we don't know both of their names, but we don't. And they're followers of Jesus because in verse 24, they refer to Peter and John as their companions. And on this road to Emmaus, there was no hope, no joy, nothing to make that seven-mile journey seemed shorter, seemed like a really long, hot afternoon walk. Nothing could make the time go faster. The death of Jesus Christ had dashed the hopes of these two men. They left Jerusalem just as the news of the missing body of Jesus Christ was being shared. They knew that much. He died He'd been buried. The body was missing. And they left. Just like that. 
of all the prophecies that Jesus had given about his death, burial, and resurrection, you would think that they would have stayed around a little longer to hear a little more. The story was just breaking when they left church and missed the greatest altar call of all times. Jesus had spoke about rising from the dead on the third day at least seven times. Cleophas in no name assumed that the body of Jesus had been stolen away. And so now they're, they're walking away from the greatest event in human history. Defeated, deflated, discouraged. And as I said a minute ago, you never know what you're going to miss when you cut out early, right? They wanted to get home before the end of the day. The road to Emmaus is a story for disillusioned people. To be disillusioned is to lose faith or trust in something or someone that you formerly regarded as good and valuable. You, you believe, but now you're struggling with your belief. It doesn't seem to be adding up. And then once they became disillusioned, then they became disheartened. And to be disheartened is to lose your hope. So they lost faith in Jesus as the Messiah. Then they lost hope that they were ever going to see things get better. Cleophas and his companion lost their faith in the expectations that they had of Jesus Christ. Their hearts had sunk and they're walking home. Their morale is down. And You know, I, I've thought about this a lot. You know, why is this story in the Bible? It's just two men, Cleophas, we only know one of their names. And we know divine inspiration, I get that part of it. But with everything that was left out that happened in those days, why do we know this story? What is, what is the deal with us hearing this story? There's nothing exceptional about Cleophas and his buddy. They're not leading apostles. It's not like Jesus appearing to Peter who had denied him to restore him. You know, this just Cleophas and his friend walking away from the news. And Jesus appears to them. And I feel like this story is in the Bible to help us understand how God feels with people who are struggling with the equation of life when it doesn't add up. Struggling with unanswered questions. Struggling with part of a story and not knowing the rest of the story. That's Cleophas. That's his friend. Maybe we can understand in this story how God sees and how God loves and how God cares about you and me when we seem to have lost heart, lost hope, when things don't make sense. And we may be tempted to walk away from the place where we need to stay so we would know even more. This story reveals a lot about how God loves people and He understands them. And there's great insight that Jesus shares with Cleophas and Clem as they're walking down the road. No name, in case you tuned in late. His name is not Clem. We see Jesus here as the Savior of the disappointed and the confused. A story for you and me. 
at times just like this in our life. Now if this would have been Peter and John, we might not relate. They're apostles, their names are in the foundations of the New Jerusalem holy city. And, but on the road to Emmaus, these are common men whose faith had died with their leader. When Jesus died, their faith died and their hopes had been dashed by his death. They fully believed as they made that seven mile trip home that Jesus was dead. But they revered his memory. And then in this story, on the road to Demaeus, while sadness and negativity ruled in these two friends' conversations, they're sharing insights, questions. Their story is going downhill all the way to Emmaus. I don't know if it was downhill all the way, but the stories were. And then in this verse 15, the Bible tells us something amazing. So it was while they were... They conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Now they're walking, the two of them, they're talking about how bad things are. And we'll get into that a little bit more. And Jesus just shows up. I don't know if he stepped out of the bushes or from behind a rock or he just appeared right there. It seems that maybe he did. They didn't notice that he just was there, but he was there. And he kept walking with them. And I'm a little amused that their conversation continued to be just as transparent as it was before. Have you ever been around people, no matter where it was, like it could be a waiting room or on a plane or here or there. And there's a conversation that is probably just kept best between two people. You don't really want to listen. But you don't have your noise-canceling headphones with you. And you're just... A captive audience. Jesus is walking with them. And they don't change conversation. They just keep talking like they're talking. And uh, the Bible said that their eyes were restrained or holden. In verse 16. But their eyes were restrained so they didn't know him. In the book of Mark. Mark 16, 12. The Bible said that he appeared to them in another form. That's fascinating. We don't have to figure this out. But what did he look like? Did he have on a wig or did he have, you know, a face mask? And I, I don't know, but they did not know him. Maybe, I don't know how much they had been around him, but he's in another form. Their eyes are withheld. They just think this is some guy that's walking down the road and wanted some company. And that's what happens. Verse 17, and Jesus is listening to their conversation, and he said to them, What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk in? You're so sad. He's, he's playing dumb, right? Man, what are you guys talking about? This is pretty depressing. And so he asked them, you know, what's been going on? And, and so then Cleophas, in verse 18, then one of whose name was Cleophas, answered and said to, to Jesus, this guy in disguise, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these last few days? You must be the only person alive who doesn't know this. That's what he's implying. Like what happened in Jerusalem? Everybody's talking about this. 
Everybody's buzzing about the death and burial of Jesus Christ. And if you would have stayed in Jerusalem, even for one night, surely you would have heard this at the diner, at the bus. You would have known about this. And he's kind of chiding him. He's kind of, you know, shocked that Jesus doesn't know what happened to Jesus back in Jerusalem. But Jesus keeps, keeps his cover, and he acts really surprised, and he said, what things? So I, I, I love this, right? And they both chimed in together in verse 19, the beginning of verse 19, you, you see what Jesus said. And he said to them, what, do you, what things? What are you talking about? So they said to him, evidently Cleophas and his friend, they're both talking maybe at the same time, or filling in pieces the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and were before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. That's what we're talking about. You don't know anything about that? Verse 21, they continued. But we were hoping, we were hoping, we were hoping. We had our hopes really set that after all the prophecies, after all the hundreds and thousands of years, that finally we were going to get our Messiah. We were hoping that He was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Now, when they say redeem, they don't mean save you from your sins. They mean save us from Rome. That's what they have in their mind. Set up Israel again, rule the world. They had scripture to believe this. They just were missing some other scripture that we'll get to. We were hoping that he was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, beside all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and... Certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels and said that he was alive. And certain of those who were with us, and we'll find out who they were, went to the tomb, found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Now, does this kind of boggle your mind a little bit? If you would have been in Jerusalem, and these women are saying, tomb is empty, and these other people, Peter and John, also go to the tomb, reliable sources, and they tell you that he's gone, and he's told you at least seven times that it was going to happen, and it's the third day. Could you not wait a few hours? Could you not stick around you know, to find out how this turned out. But in the middle of this breaking story, man, well, let's get back home. Sun's going to set. We need to be in the house by dark. So they leave. And they had trusted. And the source of their sadness was they were disillusioned. That things didn't turn out like they expected. They were disheartened. That everything they hoped for had now come to a bitter end. That Jesus was dead. 
They cannot wrap their brains around the reality of the resurrection. They placed their hopes in Him. They trusted in Him. It looks like Jesus didn't come through on His promises. And now their trust has been misplaced and God has let them down. And they thought Jesus was going to deliver them from Rome and didn't. And, and here's this conversation is getting worse and worse. Yeah, and worse. And it, you know how that goes, right? When a conversation starts going in the wrong direction, it can go downhill really fast. You can talk yourself out of every good thing. You can believe the worst. And they did. They did. Walking away from the answer, talking negatively, leaving the connectivity of other disciples, right? So, but there were some things they did believe. They did believe that he was a prophet of God. They did know that he was mighty in words and deeds. He tell, they tell us this, verses nine, fight verse 19. They did know in verse 20 that he was condemned to die. He was crucified. They did know that he was the one who was supposed to redeem Israel. They did get the report of the women early in the morning. They did hear that Peter and John, two other people, we know it was Peter and John, went to the grave and found out that, that his body was not there. That was, that was what they knew and it was all they knew. But I, I guess, and I know I'm wearing this little thought out right now, but there was so much more to know. There was so much missing information that would have changed their perspective completely. But I just want to tell you right now that it is possible for you to believe part of the story and miss the rest of the story and get in a frame of mind to depress you disillusion you, discourage you, make you give up on your faith in God. Amen? You can be ignorant of the whole picture. And you can miss Jesus who's walking with you. So, again, I'm going to ask, why did they leave Jerusalem with the talk of a resurrection swirling in the air? And they were sad, super sad, because of their perception of reality. It was not reality, but it was their perception of reality. And as I've thought through this story and felt like maybe, maybe someone, probably someone watching online for the very first time, no one here in the building and no one, you know, who's a regular part of Atlanta West. But someone maybe has kind of gotten in a state of mind that you're absorbed with a certain frame of reference and thought process and a body of facts and you think that's all there is to it. So, I mean, really, they knew Peter and John. They could have found them. They find them later. They find the 11 later. I think they could have, you know, you're going to walk seven miles. Why don't you walk over to the tomb? It wasn't a secret. The women knew. 
Peter and John knew. Why don't you just go find out more? Why don't you go into Galilee where Jesus is going to meet with his disciples? But they're working with incomplete information. They were doing what Proverbs teaches against. Proverbs 18, 13. If you answer a matter before you hear it. You've got part of the story, not the whole story. And you jump to a conclusion. Which is the exercise that some people get. And that's all the exercise they get is jumping to conclusions. Cleophas and his buddy did what a lot of people do. They give up and they go home too soon. They just walk away. They don't like the way things look. They don't like the reality they're dealing with, their perception of reality. But here's, here's for Cleophas and his friend, God has a miracle. He has a resurrection. He has a blessing. He has good news. But in application for all of us, Hebrews 10.36 says that you have need of patience. That after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. Don't check out in the middle of the process. Amen. You've heard me say numerous times. In God's kingdom, there's the birth, the death, and the supernatural fulfillment. Whether you say it's the vision or the dream, there's the birth of the dream, the death of the dream, the supernatural fulfillment of the dream. Over and over in the Bible, that's the pattern of the way God works. And when you get stuck in that death season where nothing makes sense, nothing adds up, and it looks like God has forsaken you, that's that season where you trust God in the dark. You trust God with the question mark. You trust His Word when you don't feel anything. He's with you, but you don't know it's Him. You don't feel it's Him. So Jesus is still veiled, disguised, verse 25. Then he said to them, Oh foolish ones, oh, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Now, I'm going to get into a little bit of what the prophets have spoken without trying to go too deep into this. But they had a Bible. They had an Old Testament. That's all the Bible that was written. Alright? There's no New Testament, of course. They had a Bible, and Jesus, disguised, is telling them, how have, are you not believing what you already know? Have I not been talking about this? You've got all these questions, but you've got enough answers that should help you get through what you don't know. So quit allowing what you don't know to question what you do know. You have a Bible. There are enough answers there to get you through the darkest trial to save your soul and get you to heaven. Well, if God would give me a dream or a vision or a prophecy, I'm going to say what Father Abraham said to the rich man in hell. When he said, send somebody from the dead to go tell my brothers. He said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them read their Bible. Let them hear what they've already got to hear. They're not going to believe, he said, though someone rise from the dead. God doesn't work magic tricks for us. He works the miracles for people with faith. But when we have a word, we have to stand on this word. 
Now that's what Jesus asked them. Why are you foolish? Why are you slow of heart? You have a Bible. You know what the Bible says. And then he tells them, Ought not the Christ have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Wasn't this the plan of God? Didn't the Bible talk about what you're talking about right now? The Old Testament clearly taught that Jesus would suffer, but the Jews generally missed God's plan. Jesus had taught plainly that he would be delivered into the hands of wicked men. Matthew 16, 21, from that time forth, you know, that's right after Peter says, There art the Christ, the Son of God, and blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, flesh and blood. It's not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. And from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples how he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed and raised again the third day. And I did a little study on this. Matthew 12, Matthew 17, Matthew 20, Matthew 26, Mark 8, Mark 9, Mark 10, Luke 18, John 2. All of those refer to this very same thing. Over and over, Jesus prepared them for this. Not only did Jesus predict his death, he also predicted his resurrection in three days. And remember, they said to Jesus, and this is the third day. Not the fourth day. This is the third day. You think God ever gets like, just shakes his head at us? The evidence of a resurrection was clear. The tomb was open for examination. This was God's plan from the beginning. And why would you walk away from the very place where you would see and hear that evidence? And I'm applying this right now. They leave Jerusalem. There are some people that leave the church, leave fellowship. They're going to strike out on their own. Something didn't add up, etc. Verse 27. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So Jesus now begins to give them a Bible study out of the Old Testament to rehearse with them the prophecies concerning himself. He unpacks that for these two discouraged disciples on this Sunday afternoon, the third day. Amen. So, blinded being blinded by truth was epidemic among the Jews, even the closest disciples of Jesus. You remember that they couldn't, they couldn't fathom that he would die and be raised from the dead. So, so again, everybody struggled with this, but they're really struggling with this. They could envision Jesus ruling Rome from a throne, but they could not fathom him laying down his life on a cross. So to the two on the road to Emmaus, it seemed to them, in this moment, we, we know the, the story and how it ends, but it seemed to them that there had been a terrible mistake in heaven. Have you ever thought that? There was a terrible mistake in heaven. It looked like the eternal will of God had been defeated. The triumph that God had planned had turned into a tragedy. 
and among those who were celebrating the demise of the Son of God was a despicable devil who thought this was God who had really lost his time, that he fell right into Satan's trap and Satan's world and that God lost the game to Satan. And Jesus was devoured by the jaws of death. And Satan would spend the rest of eternity with this dark satanic glee, remembering the words, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Forgetting that there was, it is finished after that, right? But God at his weakest destroys Satan at his strongest. Amen. This is what Jesus wants them to see. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. And on the road to Emmaus, Jesus explained that the death of Jesus Christ was not the failure of God's plan. It was the focal point. That the cross was not a catastrophe. It was the very crux of what God had planned from the foundation of the world. God did not have to cut and paste this plan into what he had designed from the beginning. Jesus was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. It was his genius. It was his plan from the beginning. It was foreshadowed all the way back to the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, the cross was foreshadowed when to cover the sins of Adam and Eve, God himself took innocent animals, shed their blood, took their skins, and covered the shame and nakedness of Adam and Eve. Adam looked down at the skinless carcass of an animal that he had named and saw the principle of substitution for the very first time. The innocent for the guilty. The sinless for the sinner. We know that the cross was not an accident, but it was a divine necessity. The Old Testament is a bloody story of animal sacrifice. Innocent animals giving their lives for guilty Jews. The writer of Hebrews summarized the story of sacrifices under the Mosaic law. I had this to be put on the screens, but I decided to take this out. Paul, or excuse me, the writer of Hebrews 10 and 1. For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, not the very image of those things, can never with these same sacrifices, which they continually, which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect year by year. After year, after years. Hebrews 10 and 2. For then would they have not ceased to be offered. For the worshipers once purified would have had no more consciousness of sins. In other words, if those animal sacrifices would have been enough, then they would have just been offered one time. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. When there is another sacrifice, it's another reminder that we are sinners separated from God. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. And then he tells us in verse 5, Therefore when he, Jesus, came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you do not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. 
and burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin. You had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. And the volume of the book it is written, To do thy will, O God. Previously saying, Sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin, you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, that old covenant, that he may establish the second. By that will, we have been sanctified to the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. I've referred to this verse in the last few weeks. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifice which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God, the position of power, from that time waiting till his enemies be, are made his footstool. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. And then he says, Therefore, brethren and sisters, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Jesus said, this was God's plan. He tells Cleophas and his friend, don't you know that, it, that Jesus needed to die? Now he is Jesus, but he had to die. And I, instead of going through the whole Old Testament... I wanted you to see the summary from Hebrews 10. Amen. Satan's plot rolled along. And the players played along. Judas, Pilate, Herod, Caiaphas. It all culminates in the death of God. But then in this very event, Satan's conclusion is God's premise. And Satan's end is is God's means. We celebrated last, last Friday what we call Good Friday. But if the, if the resurrection of Jesus Christ would not have occurred, then that Friday could not be called Good. It is only called Good Friday because there was a resurrection Sunday. The permanent death of Jesus would have dealt a death blow to the Christian movement. Amen. But what took place on those six hours that Friday was the centerpiece of God's plan of redemption. And these two men, with all that Jesus had said, having the entire Old Testament at their disposal, they didn't get it. You think about it, Calvary was not just for us, it was also for God. We needed a Savior. God needed a mediator. A propitiator. He needed a worthy sacrifice. We needed someone worthy to pay the price for sins for us. But God needed a sinless sacrifice to satisfy the wrath of judgment. We needed the cross. And God can only redeem us through the cross. And what Cleophas and many other people cannot understand was that the cross was God's plan. And if you'll stick around just another few hours... I don't mean you tonight. Cleophas, 
It might just come to you. Amen. In another way, the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. Beyond our salvation, which was the primary purpose. But it also brings purpose to our suffering. Jesus made sense out of the suffering we go through. Amen? We needed someone like Jesus who would be a spiritual surgeon. Who would reach into our wounds with, with bloody hands. He didn't give us a prescription or a pill or advice. He gave us himself. Coming into our world, Jesus came into our suffering. And he sits beside us still as we walk down the road. At times, discouraged, depressed, not seeing the big picture, not being able to make sense out of the puzzle of life. Sometimes we're broken in our body or spirit, but we can know that he was wounded and bruised for us. Sometimes we might feel rejected, but he was despised and rejected of men. Sometimes we feel betrayed, but he, was, he, was, he came to his own and his own received him not. Sometimes we go through tough times. But for us, he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And on the cross, Jesus Christ descended into all of the hells that we will go through. To be with us there. And through his suffering and death on the cross, he defeated death and hell for us. Hebrews 2.14, New Living Translation. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood. The Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Hebrews 2.16 We also know that the Son did not come to help angels in the form of angels. He came to help the descendants of Abraham. I've referred to this verse a week or so ago. Therefore... It was necessary. Cleophas. This verse was not written yet. but It was necessary, Cleophas, for him to be made in every respect like us. His brothers and sisters so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. And since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us. When we are being tested. Suffering. Is not the context that explains the cross. But it is a cross that explains. The context of suffering. The cross. Gave new meaning to our suffering. Because he, because he suffered for us. And so Jesus on the, on the road to Emmaus that day. He's breaking it down for them. Again I went to Hebrews. To summarize and look back. I don't know what scriptures Jesus used. But he might have pointed them first to Isaiah 9 and 6. They love this verse. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. 
And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government and peace. There shall be no end upon the throne of David. They love that line. A throne of David. And upon the kingdom to order it and establish it with justice, with judgment and justice from henceforth, even forever. The zeal of the Lord will perform it. They love that verse. And when Jesus came... They were counting on that. But they missed Isaiah 53. He was the same person. They did not understand the first coming and the second coming. So they didn't understand who hath believed our report and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, out of a root, as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief, and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. They really didn't get this next verse. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we were healed. Come on, Cleopas, don't you remember that verse? Oh, we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see, Cleophas, it was important. It had to happen that Jesus would suffer and die, the Messiah. So he connected on that road back to Emmaus. He connected the concept that you cannot have a crown without a cross. You cannot have a resurrection without a death. You cannot have redemption without a bloody sacrifice paying the price. And to these two bewildered men on the road to Emmaus, people who were just nondescript disciples going home, Jesus helped them understand the plan of God. And all they could comprehend was the stolen body of Jesus. So the question, Cleophas, is did the Messiah rise from the dead the third day? Or did somebody steal his body? Do you think the women were gossiping and off their rock? Or do you think Peter and John made up what they saw in the empty tomb when they walked inside? And examine its contents. And they're talking and they're walking. And they get close to Emmaus, Luke 24, 28. They drew near to the village where they were going. And he, Jesus, indicated that he, he was, would have gone a little further. You know, like he didn't, wasn't going to Emmaus. So he's just kind of like, well, nice talking to you guys and. Hope you enjoy the Bible study and nice chatting with you. See you later. And they constrained him. They, wait, 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 wait. Hold on. Why don't you stay with us? It's late. It's toward evening. That's why I say afternoon walk, seven miles. The day is far spent. And, and, and Jesus is he's kind of playing along, right? Okay, oh well, I'll stay. Kind of like he did earlier. What, what are y'all talking about? What things? 
Don't think that he never does that with you or me. While he's trying to bring us from doubt to faith and from despair to hope and from being in the dark to being in the light. He's trying to coach us along to truth. So anyway, whoever this guy was that's walking with us, boy, he sure knows his Bible. <laughs> they don't know that the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. But well, they kept feeling something. <laughs> right? You know this story. They kept feeling something. Stay for dinner. Now, it was pretty amazing. Jesus is their guest. And they sit down to the meal. But all of a sudden, Jesus assumes the position of the host. Thank you guys for Cleophas and what's his name for having me here for dinner. And you know what? If you don't mind, I'd like to break the bread. Well, sure. And so Jesus breaks the bread. And the Bible said in verse 30, Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, he took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. Wow, that sounds a whole lot like the feeding of the 5,000, doesn't it? Then, and only then, their eyes were opened. And they knew him. And he vanished out of their sight. Rats. <laughs> wow. Thanks. Where'd he go? And they said to one another, did not our heart burn with us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? We were really feeling something, but we were overruling everything we felt and everything we heard because we had a predisposition to believing that Jesus was still dead. Now, when you get to heaven, if you want to, you can ask about this story. Because what, how did he reveal himself in the breaking of bread? Did he say something? He'd been talking to them for hours probably. Did he have his hands kind of under his robe? And when he went to break bread, did he reach his hand out and... There was a print. There was a print of the nails. There was no lightning bolt. It was just a common, ordinary thing. We're going to sit down to eat. We're going to pray. We're going to break bread. And we're just going to have a meal together. Praise God. Their eyes were holding. They were, this is true of people today. They really can't see Jesus and know Jesus until their eyes are open. I'm especially thinking of lost people. But sometimes even followers are blinded by circumstances, by hurt, by misunderstanding, 
as I said already, it doesn't add up. It's not making any sense. Let's just, let's just get out of here. Let's just walk away. Let's just go home. Can you imagine the joy that these men felt? That displaced all the sorrow and all the sadness. When it all came together and suddenly there was an equal sign. And suddenly there was the, the, the equation was solved. It made sense to them. What a great feeling when hope rescues you from despair. The Bible says in verse 33, they rose up that very hour. It's dark by now, I'm sure. Returned to Jerusalem. They found the 11. I don't know where the 11 were, but they found them. Why didn't they find them before? We don't know. That's already, we already talked about that. They found the 11, and those who were with them gathered together. Cleophas and what's his name? are back in Jerusalem. They're full of faith. Seven miles went by really fast. Shared their stories. Verse 34. They say, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. They said that. And then they told them the things that had happened to them on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. So tonight, I just want to invite you to return to the place of faith. If for them, Jerusalem was where they would have gotten their answers. If you're filled with sadness, if you trusted but your trust was broken, return to the place of faith and trust. Don't walk away in your despair. God wants to reveal himself to you. Sometimes he doesn't fill in all the blanks. He doesn't give all the answers at once. He wants to know, are you going to hang in there through this time of darkness and disillusionment? I'd like for you to stand tonight if you would. And I'd like for you to take a moment just to thank the Lord. That he loves us enough to come to common people like us and open our eyes and share perspectives that will help make sense out of the conundrums of life that sometimes have us knotted up when nothing seems to make sense.